Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for this moment, for this morning, for this opportunity that we have to come before you. Lord, there's so much going on in our own lives, in our own families, in, in our work, and in our retirement. Lord, as we come before you, we just pray for a pause on everything else that's going on outside this room. For a few moments that we can have uh, to not be distracted by everything that is going to happen after 12.01 today. Lord, we sit in your presence for your peace, for your insight, and for the gifts that you give. In your name we pray. Amen. As far as it goes, there's a common saying that I'm sure a lot of us have heard before. That 10,000 hours spent in any single discipline will make you an expert in that exact area. Now... Baseball, interesting pastime. Never played as a kid, and of course, as adulthood means, that find, means I find myself as a coach of a number of different baseball teams. Luckily, most of those are four-year-olds, and it's more baseball adjacent than it is baseball. But in terms of that, if I continued the same training regimen and same skill sets that I did with those four-year-olds through different levels, how quickly do you think that they would improve from there? How far would they get? If in our training, we only ever worked at one hand catches and never bothered to change the strategies and skills that we're working to build, how efficient would they be as baseball players in the rest of the world? Not at all in the slightest. We can spend time, we can spend hours, we can spend years of our lives working at skill sets working to develop ourselves, but depending on how we're being developed will entirely define the outcome of what we can actually produce at the end of that. Because the reality is, our input does not always translate to an output in terms of effort. In terms of how much energy and time we give into something does not necessarily mean that the same amount of effort and energy will be received on the other end. And that's part of a little bit about how we're going to be looking at and how we're going to be exploring this concept of connecting to God's Word. Of recognizing that in how we connect will define how we experience that connection. And if we haven't readjusted or learned to approach differently, to develop different angles of skills of connecting to the Word, then we're going to be drastically restricted or freed with what we experience in that relationship from the Lord. In doing a little bit of research into this, I tried to dig around and find out what is the immediate association that Christians have when we say God's Word. And I actually found a poll study done online, so very scientific, highly reputable, uh, but it basically asks the question of, when you think of God's Word, what comes to mind? And according to this specific study, 87% of people described this. The book of scriptures, our holy Bible. 
And the other 13% had another 27 odd different definitions of what God's word was. And I think that that association is probably pretty common for the vast majority, if not all of us. Then we think, when we think about this concept of God's word, we think of his spoken word, and his spoken word was written down and given for us, and thus we have that today. And I think that's true, but there's something greater to this understanding of the word in Scripture. It speaks to something much more broad than a single definition or single way of looking at it. So for us to understand what it means to connect to the word, we need to look at the breadth of what Scripture describes that word to be. And in the New Testament alone, there are over 259 unique references to the word. And none of them refer to this completed version of scriptures that we have today. Because this completed version of scriptures that we have today was not in existence in that moment when these events were experienced, when they were lived, when God's presence was there. Some of the ways in which the Bible describes the Word is as this divine group of messages, plural, multiple, in events. That the Word is something to be received as a vocational calling and a requirement of physical response. That we have been washed in the Word, this element of grace. That the Word, as Arthur shared this morning, is a double-edged sword. Something to be armed with in defense or offense. That the Word of God is freedom, that it is released, that the Word has gone ahead of us, that the Word always was and is and will be. The reality is the Greek language was very, very different in terms of how communication functioned compared to our modern-day English. English is about getting to the specificity of a specific meaning as quickly and clearly as possible. That's why sometimes we have five different words for the same thing, and also sometimes why we use word for five different meanings of the same thing. That we're always trying to get to a specific, concise, understandable communication piece. But Greek was entirely different. The language and the way it was constructed was much more about an overall message, almost more like a painting in terms of its communication. That there are themes and purposes that went within it and a commonality of principle that was shared. So, thus we see words that are used in so many different contexts, like the word itself. Greek uses different language to discover and layer out divine meaning through all of these different purposes and intents. With a language that has far fewer actual individual words than we have today. But today, once again, in our goal of being efficient, our goal of being as clear as possible, we overtly summarize and poignantly choose the actual pieces that we use to communicate to make sure that our meaning is clear, our purpose is without possibility of being misunderstood. And thus, as Christians, as English-speaking North Americans... Whenever we hear a single word, we try to associate it as clearly as possible to one meaning. And thus, when we talk about God's word, the majority of our immediate assumptions go 
into the book of our scriptures. Now, it's amazing and such a divine gift that we actually have this book today. You think about how many different things have survived over the centuries in terms of writings. Did you know uh, the um, Homer's Iliad book, that in the original manuscript, in a completed manuscript, there's only about eight or so of those that are existed today? There's a number of classic, classic uh, pieces of literature that have less than ten documented sources that we can point to today and say, see, this is what was written thousands of years ago. Yet Scripture, there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of manuscripts that exist that when we find them and study them today, we look back at what was we have translated over these thousands of years, which was done hand by hand, generation by generation, and it's so amazingly accurate the things that we're discovering today, the documents, and what our understanding and how that hasn't changed of what was written over these thousands of years. But the reality is Scripture, the way in which we've assembled this book, the way in which we've chosen which documents have gone into it, has been a study and a trial through generations of looking for the most common and most accurate and most consistent documents. If there are thousands upon thousands of these manuscripts that exist, they read them all, they translate them all, and go with the most common and average and repeated phrases, which is why a few times, in, depending on which Bible you have, you'll see a few extra verses that these were not included in all of the original manuscripts. So what we have done in terms of this assembly is taken what we can guarantee and have confidence in as being accurate and as being consistently provable between multiple different source materials to give us this scripture that we have. And over the course of these generations, God has kept these individual documents pure and truthful to help give us a framework today that we understand. But have you ever noticed, and I'm sure you have, how we've got one story of Jesus between when he was born and when he went into ministry? Did they just stop writing for 30 years? It's not like they forgot over that time who Jesus was. Some people think that maybe he actually just sat in Joseph's carpentry shop for those 30 years and just built furniture. I wonder if any of it's still around. It probably would have to be. (laughs) If Jesus built it, sitting somewhere. But the reality is this scripture that we have has been the messages that God thought important enough to carry forward through the generations for us to have today. But it is not an exhaustive documentation of every single thing the Lord has done. Even in our own lives, some of us might keep journals of our experience, but we are not recording the work of God in the same way that different generations have. And in that sense, we know that this is the meaning and the purpose of what God desired for us to know. The most basic structure and formation of His existence in creation. But there is so much more that God has done and is doing that we don't have nearly the same amount of documented 
account for. When it was written, we know that it was inspired. God led these writers to write these things in certain ways, to summarize certain themes, to give account for certain events, for prophecy to be written and held together, for the history that is actually written in terms of dates, numbers, and national movements, for these things to be the case and to be documented, not just in our own Bible, but outside that as well. And that God has brought this together for us to have today since we do not have Jesus himself speaking individually. But for us to assume that this is the culmination of God's existed word within our world today, that this is God's primary and maybe for some of us only way of hearing from him, hearing the work that he is doing and hearing of the work that he is doing. We're in a danger of living in an incomplete understanding of God. We're in a place of risk of closing our own ears and our own heart to the way that God is working and moving if this is the only way we allow him to speak to us. And in fact, there's been some amazing events that have happened and some pretty unique things around the world, ways in which the Lord has done great things when this copy of scriptures was not even available. I heard a story once, uh, and this has been shared in Bible colleges, uh, I can't remember the specific details off the top of my head, but of a missionary who went to a tribe in Africa got there, shared the gospel once he'd learned enough of the language to communicate it, and the chief was like, great, we're all in. And the missionary was like, they didn't tell us that this was going to happen. They didn't tell us why, like you don't have questions. He's like, nope, 100%, no, we're good. Uh, And he's like, well, why, why, like everyone? He's like, oh, absolutely, the whole tribe, we will convert and uh, we will follow this Jesus. And the missionary was really at a loss, and he's like, well, why? And he said, oh, We've known for quite a while the way we treat each other that we're broken and that we're too complex to have just been here by mistake or by chance. So somebody put us here, and if they put us here, they probably care enough about us to eventually tell us who they are. And when you showed up telling us all about the fact that we sin and we need Jesus, that fits exactly with everything that we have understood and everything that we've handed down through our generations. So we know we're good, we're in. No scriptures, no pastors, no body of believers to share. But God was speaking in that place, in that time, and preparing hearts. In Romans 1.20 it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Churches have been planted for generations without having the availability of God's Word. Up until the time of Luther, it was kept it restricted and only available and accessible by those who led the church, and it wasn't even available for individuals to go home and to sit and to pour through and to be blessed by and to grow from. 
So it's important for us to remember that Scripture is this divinely guided and inspired resource for us. That it has a purpose for us in teaching, rebuking, in correcting, and in guiding, in training in righteousness, as it says. That it has been kept together for us for a purpose through generations and will continue to have this collection of truth in terms of who God is and who His existence in creation is meant for. And it's important to remember that we are blessed to have this, but we are unique in the fact that we do. Since all around our history and all through the world today, there are individuals who do not have access to this, who do not have the freedom to have 12 of them at home and one in their pocket on their phone. Yet God is still at work and moving. And all of these other mentions of God's Word within Scripture start to have new meaning and new power in terms of how they're moving. And even in terms of Scripture, and we've all had the question as pastors before that at some point or another, well, pastor, which, which version of the Bible is the best one? Because there are lots of them, and everyone believes that their favorite version is the best one, whether it's KJV, NLT, NRSV, and I know the best one, so if you tell me, I'll tell you, but that's only my opinion, just like it is anyone else's. Because once again, so many have been written from different forms, whether word by word, phrase by phrase, sentence by sentence. But the one that we can actually have the most confidence in the one that we can actually depend on for the perfect clarity of instruction is the one that I bet there's only six people in this room who can actually read. And I would have said five, but Nick's here today too. In terms of the original Greek and the original Hebrew. So how we are approaching and how we are understanding the Lord's Word is given to us in a way and in a form that we have available in terms of a language that allows us to experience God's teaching and God's blessing. But we're reminded that this concept of God's Word is so much greater than any one single form. And Scripture is a tool to help us understand that Word. Scripture is not the only or the main or the central version of that. It is one central and important piece to a greater puzzle. The corner piece that most of us who aren't insane start by building a puzzle with. We find those corners and it builds for us the structure around it. And we know that God's word existed before this assembly of documents ever came to be. So we need to reimagine as believers today how we want ourselves to develop. Most of us who've been in church at least a few years now, and a few years being decades upon decades, we've definitely put in at least 10,000 hours of spiritual training and development. For some of us, we may have sat through 20,000 hours of sermons alone. But we need to be looking at how in which we are receiving 
and what we're doing with what it is that we receive when God is giving us His Word. Because if we have a hopes of understanding 260 different forms of God's Word, it will require us to be coming to this process open-handed and recognizing that God's Word is actually in concept and in its most basic and simple principle the person of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, before humanity, before while the earth was formless and void. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was the person of Jesus Christ, and His continued dialogue and existence and partnership with creation. And I think for us today, especially when it comes to being so performance-valued, it's really easy for us to get in a place where we think that it's our own effort that produces the blessing that God gives. And I don't think any of us would say it exactly like that or think that, but how often do we think to ourselves or even internally criticize ourselves that we're not spending four, five, six, seven hours a day reading our Bibles. That we're not waking up at 3 a.m. and spending from 3 a.m. till 7 a.m. like we heard some faithful individual at some point or another praying behind closed doors themselves before they head out to their day. I think the reality is that it's very easy for us to look at our faith and think if only I do more, if only I am able to do this, if only I get the chance to do that, then I will be all the closer to God. And although these things in Scripture builds for us a better understanding of God, it is not the thing that saves us. It has the message of salvation, but there's nothing that we do individually to get ourselves closer to God. It's the work of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that He existed and got involved with the creation. It's the fact that He came down to earth and opened the doors for us that we actually have the moment and opportunity to grow closer to God. It's not do our, do our own efforts because we can't save ourselves. We can't make ourselves better than we were before. But it's the grace that Christ has made available for us that does this heavy lifting. And for us, it's about this willingness to seek and an openness of heart to connect back to what God's expression has been throughout all of history for us. For the ability for us as believers to lean on what Jesus had taught. And I think this is a hard thing for each and every one of us as believers because it's hard to measure something as intangible as how much space we give God in our hearts. Because it's really easy when we hear someone who spends hours upon hours a day in prayer to know that that is a spiritual discipline. When someone spends months and months reading only the Bible, that that is a discipline that has given them the opportunity to receive a blessing. And I think this is why as churches we love things that we can measure so much. Which is why the two biggest metrics of how is your church doing is how many people do you have on Sunday morning 
And we assume that the higher number means that better things are happening there. And in terms of money, how financially stable are you? How big is your budget for this? Or how much are you able to do in these areas? But by coming to what the Lord is doing in His kingdom with that type of mentality, we're assuming that just because there's a lot of people there that something amazing is happening. And I know for us as a church, as Markham, we feel the stress of the numbers. Because a long time ago, we were a lot more sizable than we used to be or are right now. We used to have three times the money in the bank. We used to have twice as many people on Sunday morning. And I think because of that, we get into a place where we can, without even realizing it, put that expectation the fact, or think to ourselves that we are less than what we used to be. That we have a weaker impact to the world around us because we aren't as big as we used to be, because we don't have as much money as we used to be. But the way that God works, we might actually, right now in this moment, be in the most deep and meaningful spiritual season that this church has ever had. We might be. We might not be. But that is something that is so much harder to measure than numbers and attendance. And once again, in this Western world, for us, those are the benchmarks of success everywhere else in our lives. And we transplant that same expectation to us in church. But God does not use a numerical system to determine our value. Which is why in this response to the word, to the person of Jesus Christ, it is about willingness on our part to sit and to listen. To receive and to be guided. To exist in a position of a discipline. Of giving God a freedom and space. Because the word of God is a living piece of what we do as a body of believers. And God is living and active in this church, in our lives, and looking to build us into a body of individuals that has an amazing potential to impact the lives of those around us. He has given us the tools that we need that He has kept together for generations through thousands of translations and reproductions. And He has proven to us just how whole this book is. And He has given us this so that we can in confidence in an expectation and a knowledge of something great, not because we made it, but because He is with us in it. Of an opportunity to move forward in terms of this kingdom purpose. 
And I think this is the part where we need to constantly be reminding ourselves that this is Jesus who has done the work for us. Jesus who has provided this opportunity of salvation, of healing. And it's through trusting Scripture and these tools that we can get closer to the goals that we have as a church. To be seeking to living in a way that we connect to the fact that Jesus has made this possible for us. And to remember that he has built this for us before the foundations of the earth existed. That it wasn't something that for him was ever a short-term engagement. But that his word has been made real and made living for us. That whether we're alone in our car, stuck on a plane, or in a bathroom at a restaurant, that we have access to the living word. And God has surrounded us, and especially in this country, with such an immense amount of resource to have confidence in what he is building us and confidence in what he invites us to build with him. Let's pray. Dear Father God, as the team comes forward, Lord, we, we seek to get a, a better confidence in not trying to fix everything ourselves. Lord, we ask that you give us a sense of confidence in not getting washed away with our own ideas of success, of looking around us at other churches, at other organizations, and to become envious of their size and stature. Lord, we ask that you, look, you have us look into our own hearts and measure the change that we see you making in our lives. Lord, as you have given us your word, your message, and kept that true through scriptures, we ask you to continue to just build in us an ability to come to you open-handed, to seek your guidance for the creation and for the care of those around us. And that you would allow us and train us in a way to use what we have to the best of our ability for your glory. That we would feel the renewal and change in our own lives. So that we can help the people around us feel that and experience that too. Lord, there's a part of us that would love to be an Acts 2 church where thousands of people come on a daily basis. We'd love to be a part of a ministry that walks into a village and everybody instantly believes in you. And Lord, we know that that type of thing still happens in this world because you and your word are still the same. But Lord, help us to have a better understanding of the mission that you have led Mark and Missionary Church to. And help lead our leaders, myself included, to come up with 
what your measure of success is for us as a body. Because, Lord, we want to be faithful. We want you to reign true. And, Lord, we give you this time. In your name we pray.